Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. He's done it again. Marcus Rashford on his Premier League debut. Aguero. Harry Kane does it again for Tottenham Hotspur. Leicester City. Leicester City are the champions of England. Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanRag Sports. My name is Sebastian Noren and with me as always, Paulie Christel, Elliot Niblock. We got a Elliot, lot... Elliot, you alive? He's yeah, alive. He's I'm alive. just barely clean. Yep. We got a lot of stuff to go through here today. We'll be, uh, we're going to see if we can keep it around the hour mark. We'll see. If we go a little bit longer, it's okay. But first and foremost, we're going to jump into the big story of the weekend, Arsenal and... We're going to sort of do a State of the Union for the club after that humiliating 4 nothing loss against Liverpool. And Elliot, I mean, we're happy that you're still with us. And um, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't commit seppuku. After yeah, exactly. I mean, that is what some fans were calling Wenger to do after that game, basically. Uh, so what happened? Let's start with this game, first and foremost. Everything seemed to go wrong. From well, the I mean, it, from the tactics to how they they didn't look motivated, they you know they were mental breakdowns pretty much all over the pitch. Well, yeah, I mean, and here, okay, where to begin? But so one of the things that Paulie, you know, you texted. I don't know what I would feel or how I'd react if my club broke its, you know, bought this new striker. And then left him on the bench for the first quote-unquote big game of the season. And, but that's that's not even the only thing to talk about here in terms of the team selection. In addition to that, like how you cannot go Urzel, Lacazette, Sanchez as you know your front three. In addition to that, you know you bring in this defender who I'm st- I'm still jazzed on, Kolasinac. I I think he's going to be great. Mm-hmm. I, not going to pretend like I can pronounce his name correctly. I mean, that's fine. But he... You, you bring in a left back because clearly your team needs a new left back. And then what do you do? You start a right back at left back. I mean, it just... he did, And he did that at the end of the game against Leicester City by, you know, just throwing on forwards. And you know what? He, did that, he started the right back at left back so he could start a right winger at right back. That's what made even less sense. He's, it, the, I mean, this team, it was shambolic from front to back. And I have to admit, I, um, at some point, uh, I, you know, we had a bunch of people over for the Mayweather-McGregor fight on Saturday night. We ended up going out dancing. And at some point, I got it into my head that the game kicked off at 10.30 a.m. Central Time. So I missed the first half hour and that was a great kindness that fate did to me hmm. because it was, I, you know, I turned it on and I mean, we're already down one nil and I watched five minutes and I said, I, you know, I texted my friend, don't get up. Don't, if you see this and you're still in bed as I was, don't wake up and watch this game roll over, you know, like, spend time in bed with your wife, that's going to be much more rewarding than watching this team fall apart. And they just front to back, they looked apathetic. They looked apathetic and they looked beaten. And it's the, the thing that's frustrating is that it seems it's just, it, it's Groundhog Day, you know? It's fucking, it, you wake up and then the same thing happens over and over again. It's 8-2 at Old Trafford. It's 6-0 against Chelsea. Oh, yeah, happy anniversary. It's 4-1 against Liverpool. It's oh, it's the anniversary of, of 8-2 also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. And the just the shambolic nature of the team can only at this point come back to Arsene Wenger. You, know, you, can, you can blame the players. I, I blame the players on some level, yes. But 
the, the team just looks like the manager has lost the dressing. It reminds me of, and I have to admit, you know, like I came on this podcast and I was wholly willing to laugh at Chelsea in their shambles after winning the league with Mourinho. And you know what? I If it happened again, I would do it again. And right now, Chelsea supporters are laughing at Arsenal, and they should, because we are a rightful laughing stock. The manager has lost the dressing room. But what is the worst about it is that while Abramovich, for all of his ills, which are myriad, he's willing to fire a manager who loses the dressing room. And I don't believe that Stan Kroenke has the stones to do that. Or maybe he would say it has nothing to do with that. He doesn't even care. And that is yet worse. Wait, because Stan Kroenke, he also gave a contract extension to his NFL coach last year and fired him a few weeks later. So so he definitely has the stones stones to do it. The the better question is, does he care? No. And the, the issue... The issue here, and there's there's several issues with this team right now. When you when you look at the Wenger issue, the Wenger issue is, uh, you're right. He has lost the locker room. He's lost the dressing room. He's lost the team. All the good players want out. That's an issue. Um, he he, like what was he thinking? I, I I'm trying like I try to give him the benefit of the doubt. And what was he thinking? For some reason, he wants to do that like. He wants to throw Alex Oxlade Chamberlain into the into the uh, team every week, despite the fact that the Ox wants to leave, and he's going to do that at the expense of moving his right back, who is one of the two best right backs in the league, to left back, which makes no sense. He's going to. He played uh, an attacking lineup. You know, he put in he put in Ramsey next to Shaka, even though instead of having Coughlin, because I guess your plan is outscore Liverpool, because and that's not a bad plan because. Liverpool's defense, not that great. And Arsenal's defense, really not good at either. So you had to anticipate there were going to be goals on both sides. And if your your chance of getting a result is keep pace with them or outscore them. Okay, so then that move, you know, it kind of makes sense. But then you go and you, you spend 50 million pounds on a striker and you leave him on the bench. And if you left him on the bench because you said, well, Olivier Giroud has been coming into the team and he's been scoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to go with him. Okay, that makes sense. But you left him on the bench too, and you went with Danny freaking Welbeck, who we have our disagreements about. Uh, we both agree he's a good squad player. I don't want my good squad player leading the line in a big game. I'm okay with exactly. him leading the line against exactly. against the 15th place team in the table at home because you have a big Champions League game coming up midweek then, yeah, go out there and lead the line. But I don't want him leading the line here. He is a striker that Arsenal got on the cheap because he was deemed not good enough to play for a Manchester United team. That was terrible. I mean, the, for me, it's the thing is that it's... Yeah, you use the phrase lead the line, but there was, there was no leadership from anywhere on that pitch. It so was, that's my other point. That was, that's the other point, is... When you, when you move past Wenger, and there's more about Wenger, because it's not just that Wenger's lost the locker room, he also just seems to not be able to make a decision for the club. It looks like he doesn't have any power within the club, and that's, you know, he's selling defenders. I don't know why he's selling defenders. I know! Oh, my God. Um, and he's not buying anybody. And he acts like the money is coming out of his pocket, which it's not. It's somewhere along the line he doesn't have the power to he doesn't have the power to sit there and go, look, we need this player and we're going to go get him. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, and I think that's where Kroenke comes in though. Cause I don't think Kroenke don't, wants to spend the money. He, well, he, I'm not, I'm still, I'm not sure about that though, Seb, because I like Wenger has been a tight wad. Oh yeah. No, he's pride. He's prided himself to keep him in the green. Absolutely. But he's, but what the problem with Wenger is he's allowed the game to catch up to him. He was so far out in front of the game when he first came in. You know, they played like a 4-4-2-ish, but it was also kind of a 4-3-3. It shifted between the two of them. It was very fluid. They were, they attacked a lot. He found players. He got players from France, from here, from there. He brought in these young guys. You know, he developed, when when he had these financial constraints on him, he found Cesc Fabregas and Robin Van Persie and Samir Nazari and, uh, um, I'm blanking, but he he found a team. 
like Arsenal had one of their best years when he couldn't do anything. You know, Arsenal in 2008-2009 were right up there with Chelsea and United, who were two of the three best teams in Europe. They went to the semifinals of the Champions League. They were really good. He built good teams with nothing. And since then, he is... Uh, he's let the game catch up to him. You know, Sir Alex Ferguson, the, the big misconception, especially about Manchester United, especially in the mid-2000s, is, oh, they just buy the best players, and now that City have all this money, they're taking off United's players. I mean, look at the transfer history. They Their two big signings were Dimitar Berbatov, because Ferguson liked him, I guess, and Robin Van Persie, because he decided, I need another striker, because my guys aren't getting the job done. Every other year... It's just minor signing here, minor signing there. Like, let's add a young player that we could count on not this year, but in three years. Wenger's, <laughs> Although Wenger's occasionally still... those players end up going to Juventus and being very successful, but... Hey, that was an academy kid. I'm, Point I'm, taken. Referring, I'm referring to <laughs> Nani and Anderson. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, you know, eventually, United couldn't do that anymore. And part, part of that is because... Sir Alex Ferguson left, but like when he left, he left with a really bad team in place. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Cleverley is terrible. Most of those guys were either old or just not good enough, and you had to make big signings. Wenger thinks making the big signing of Sanchez and, and Ozil, that's enough, but it's okay, you did that you did that a couple years, but where's the next piece? Because you you don't have your pick of the litter out of all these other guys anymore because all these other teams, it's not just that they have money. It's they've invested that money in scouting. And now other teams are finding players out of the second division in France. And other players are finding just the young guy. And now, you know, if you have, it's no longer that, you know, Manchester United or Chelsea or Arsenal can call up a team with a promising 17-year-old and say, we'll give you 8 million pounds for him. He's yours. They, they, they answer the phone and they go, well, Arsenal's got money. Uh, we, want, we want 30 million for this 17-year-old. And yeah. you're right. That's probably not worth it, and and that lets Wenger that puts for some reason Wenger just says we're not going to do it. City they'll spend that money, so the, he's allowed the game to catch up to him. The other issue is now on the field. There is just no leadership on this team, and it's been like that for a long time. Uh, we you know we've talked about this last year. Who, is your captain Kashelny or is your captain Murdersacker? Yeah, I mean. <sighs> Well, which one is it? It's it's Murdersacker, right? But it's Kashelny yeah, because Murdersacker is always hurt. All right, so when, well, or just never plays even when he's fit. Right. So when he's not there, who is it? You know, if he's not, if he's hurt, who is telling the players? You know, what should we do? Uh, hey, hey, guys, this isn't acceptable. Ozil, you literally do nothing when you don't have the ball. You know who's, who's that's that, okay. That is there. that's not true. That is that is an unfair misconception. I think Ertzel had his worst game in an Arsenal shirt the first game of the season, but I I think that he's actually acquitted himself decently since then. Hasn't lit the world on fire, but he he is not culpable for these shambolic results. No, no but since he's since heard... he's one of the big stars, though, it lands on his shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, but I've also course. heard that I've also heard that that's a tactical decision. Like Wenger has said, you don't need to track back because we want you to just focus on attack, which teams do. You mm-hmm. know, like when Ronaldo played for Manchester United, Ferguson told him the same thing. So if if that's the case, then you know you just need somebody else to do his running for him, and you need to be able to accommodate that. Uh, that obviously, when you look and you see and you see Ozil just walking around, you're going to get upset at him for that. But that is not his fault. Yeah. However, again, when the team, when every player on the team isn't performing, when every player on the team, um, when every player on the team is putting in an embarrassing effort, who's the one to call the team together and say, guys, this isn't acceptable? And I don't think they have that. No, they don't. And I think that if they did, it would be a per Murdersacker, for example, which is exactly why he would be a potential candidate for being captain, but he doesn't play. And if he's not on the field, then it doesn't make the same, That you know, it's not the same. I, this team, however, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't just go from the pitch to the bench. It goes throughout the entire culture of the club. Like it is, it is an infuriatingly, I mean, complacent doesn't even do it justice, right? It, the, the lack of ambition, it, it, 
And it is, it's infuriating to hear Gazidis talk about how, you know, like, we're going to change. It's going to be a new, a new era on and off. But he says, he went on the record saying he thought it was a time for a change. That he thought it was time for Wenger to go. And then he gets overruled by Kroenke. And then he just puts his tail between his legs and he stays at the club. Because yeah. he knows he can't get a better position anywhere in world football. No other major club, quote-unquote major club, because those scare quotes are going to get scarier and scarier around that phrase at the Arsenal, is going to ever consider taking him because his reign, such as it is over Arsenal, has been horrific. Like, he he's totally tainted. Even if he, if he goes back to MLS, his pedigree is going to be tainted. You so, know, and like that says something in and of itself. Yeah, a couple of quick hits here. So it looks like Oxlade Chamberlain is leaving for Chelsea. Reports today that Chelsea has agreed with Arsenal on a fee for the England International. And then we saw rumors that Alexis Sanchez has handed in a transfer request. And then that Inter and Juventus are out after Mustafi. Well, okay. Um, I'll address those in whichever order you want. Um, Ox, you know, I, I think he was he was always going to go. And on the one hand, thirty five million for a player who's been kind of on the fringes of the squad, a uh, player I've always really liked, but has been you know honestly a squad player, and not much more. That's fine. It still really stings to sell him to a cross town rival. Uh, and he's going to hurt Arsenal. He's absolutely going to hurt Arsenal. And he's not going to have any regrets about it, and he shouldn't. The, look, the Oxlade Chamberlain signing is everything that is wrong with Arsenal right there. It just shows how deep the problem is. Because you're right, he is a squad player. That's literally what he is, and uh, that's pretty much what his career is going to, to uh, max out at. And even then... Arsene Wenger was giving him every chance he could. He was forcing him into the starting lineup all the time just to get him in there, just to try, like, to try to hit this player to get his, um, to get his, his, not not his loyalty back. This is his whole career to try to get him to hit his potential. And it it just wasn't working. And now what's he doing? He's going to Chelsea to be a squad player, which is, by the way, a great signing for Chelsea because this is exactly the kind of player that Chelsea need. And, if you remember last year when Chelsea were sort of uh, fading a bit in the second half of the season and Jesse Lingard was playing well, Chelsea fans were taking the Twitter to say Lingard is the exact kind of squad player that we need. And that's what you're getting in Oxlade Chamberlain. Yeah. But it shows he just doesn't even want to be at Arsenal. This isn't like Victor Moses, who was like dominating things at Wigan and went to Chelsea with the hope that that he would compete for a first team place. And then it was like, you get to Chelsea and it's like, you're no longer the big fish in a small pond. This is Oxley Chamberlain being, I'm going from being a squad player at Arsenal to being a squad player at Chelsea. And that's a better situation for me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so this is, and I, you know, we're gonna have to take a break in a second, but the last thing I'll say on this, and when we come back, we'll talk about Alexis. But the, the thing is that Oxley Chamberlain signed from Southampton and he was thrilled to come to Arsenal. And he was thrilled specifically about Arsene Wenger. And he has watched, I, you know what, in 10 years, I would love to read his memoirs because he has watched the downfall of Arsene Wenger in, in his tenure at the Arsenal. And it has been tragic. And Arsenal have taken a few trophies, FA Cups here and there. Yeah, they've been great. They've been just only staying the bleeding and honestly i can't i i feel bitter about losing a great player with a lot of potential who's only 24 to a crosstown rival but i can't wish him ill you know i feel similar about the fabregas departures like you know what you you should jump ship because this ship is clearly sinking and it's going to get closer to the bottom before it's right right before we go to break let me just i'll make you feel better a little bit players when they break into the um, when they break into the league at 17 years old, when they're 24, they are what they are. So, yeah. yeah, you're losing a great player, but you know what? He's just a player that had a lot of potential and turned out to just be a squad player, and there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't he happen He can run to... at players. He can't put crosses into the box. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, being a squad player for a top six team, there's there's worse thing you can be. Uh, yeah, like, that's better than I ever did. Yeah. So <laughs> quick break here, and we'll be right back. We'll talk about Alexis Sanchez, and then we'll take a look at Arsenal's uh, uh, over men Liverpool and talk about them. So uh, be right back. And we're back. Uh, like we said before the break, uh, reports today that Alexis Sanchez has handed in a transfer request. And I don't think that we can blame him for that, really, with the the state of Arsenal right now. And seeing that he is on his last year of his contract, doesn't seem like he's really interested in re-upping that. So why not leave now? It's weird, though, because... Manchester City are rumored to be involved in him, and I think he wants to go to Manchester City, which is not the right team for him. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a very weird situation. Obviously, now you know the whole story about Arsenal was Sanchez and Ozil. They they aren't signing contracts, and this has been dragging on for a year now. And then this summer, it's Alex Oxley Chamberlain um, walks out the door. And now, or didn't didn't sign a new contract. Now he's out of the door, and, and Sanchez has to be looking around, being like, "Wait a minute, like that guy got to leave. Like I definitely now need to leave." And at this point, Arsenal need to figure out a way to sell him. They're not going to get top dollar for him. No, and that was the he, that, that's the problem too, though. They should have been early on, or they should have talked to his agent starting you know towards the tail end of last season hey this is what we can offer blah 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 they's like no i don't think we want to resign okay then you actively stop stop start shopping him around now you got three days left of the transfer window and you're trying to find a buyer it's an issue it's it's a bigger issue because we also know well he doesn't want to be there and if he doesn't want to be there what he's going to do because his place on chile is set in stone so if he doesn't want to be there, what he's going to do is go through the motions all season and make sure he does not get hurt before the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I No, I disagree with that entirely. That is not who Alexis Sanchez is. That is not who Alexis Alejandro Sanchez is. He'll turn Sanchez it on Sanchez. in February so that he hits the World Cup like in good form. But No, no, I, I disagree entirely because that is that, – I mean, I – and here's the thing that, that like cuts to the quick for me as an Arsenal supporter because it is – it hurts me to see a player want to leave this club. It's a club that I love, you know. I mean, I, you know, I go through the fantasy motions playing FIFA as an Arsenal starlet all the time, and I would never leave Arsenal if I had the choice. But you know what? I'm not a world class footballer. Alexis Sanchez is. He should want to leave this because, as I just said, it's a sinking ship. But that said. His character, everything I've seen of his character, he will never give less than 100%. I mean, this is a man who is running himself into the ground, answering the call for Chile every time the call comes Mm -hmm. around. He will play. It doesn't matter who he's playing for. I guarantee you he wants to be playing for another club. He wants to be playing in the Champions League. But this is not a guy who will go through the motions. Urzel, yeah, I believe that of him. But Alexis Sanchez will run himself into the ground, like like his golden retrievers. He will run until he can run no more. And I I respect him to the to the death. And it will make me very sad to see him go. Not if when he goes, because he is a brilliant footballer and he works very hard. But I don't believe for a second that he will go through the motions, even if he is denied his transfer request. You know, you might see him throw his armbands on the sideline. You'll see him get frustrated. But when he is on the pitch, he gives 100% every time. Yeah, his worth ethic, his, his work ethic, there we go, is phenomenal. But the thing is here now, Chelsea's got to look at it from a business perspective too. It's like, okay, do we sell him now and get some money? Or... You mean Arsenal. Arsenal. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Or do we let it go till January where he can sign a pre-contract with any club he wants and we get nothing. Well, in exactly. December. And this is no reason why gonna... Arsenal can't also come to an agreement to sell him at a cut rate price at the end of December and have the deal go through in January. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I'm not saying they're selling him now. Or... Happen, but... it, I mean, this, and this will be a good, uh, this will be a good segue into the next thing. But if, if I were Liverpool right now, after watching what my team just did to Arsenal and looking at the dejectedness and just looking at the shape of Arsenal, I would pick up the phone, um, call up Barcelona, say, hey, remember that bid you just made for Coutinho? We'll take it and take that money 
and throw it at Alexis Sanchez. Mm. And it might not be Manchester City, but you're getting a good manager in Jurgen Klopp. You are getting a team that likes to attack. You are instantly the guy at Anfield, and you are playing in the Champions League. That's not a bad situation to be in. And boom, Liverpool, all right, you lose Coutinho. You just walked over. You just gained a superstar here. Yeah. And you come out with money ahead, too. Right. And then if I were Arsenal, I would I would take that deal right away. And I would call up Leicester. And I would be like, Rion Mars wants to leave. And here's the 40 mil. Yeah. Here's yeah. the, he's and, the, here's the 40. Mean, how Arsenal have not signed Rion Mars yet is unbelievable. And I mean, it's it's one of his one of many failures. It, it's just, it, I mean, you've got, talk about like you look at the players last yesterday on Arsenal, it just didn't seem like any of them cared. You look at Rian Mares, who wanted to leave a year ago, agreed to have a go at the Champions League and have a go at, at you know finishing in the top four again with Leicester for another year under the condition that he'd be sold uh, this summer. It didn't happen. And what has he done? While Coutinho's out and he's not playing because of a quote unquote back injury, Rian Mares is out there giving his all for Leicester, hoping that somebody's going to sell him, risking injury, mm-hmm. all that stuff. He's being as professional as he can be. And how Arsenal, who need a player like Mars, haven't swooped in and signed him, is beyond ridiculous. I mean, this guy is one one year removed from being the player of the year. And knowing all this is going down and looking at your own team, if I were Tottenham, I would be calling up Leicester right now and stealing Mars before he can get to Arsenal. Because yeah. well, Tottenham need a winner. Although- I mean, similar, speaking of, you know, this kind of strange love triangle between these teams, I guess it's a love quadrangle, but who cares? But Thomas Lamar, right? Like, you know, you, you well, that's the other thing for Liverpool. About today, but if, but if he go, I mean, if he goes to Liverpool, that I think that speaks more than anything else to just like how deep the corruption goes at Arsenal, right? Like, it's, it's not, not just Arsenal. was in the plot. It's Arsene Wenger calls up Monaco, who said none of our players are for sale, even though they're all they're all literally like swimming to other countries mm-hmm. or to other clubs. And Arsene Wenger calls him up and says, "We want Thomas Lamar." And Monaco says he's not for sale. And Wenger goes, "Okay, nice. We'll talk again at Christmas." <laughs> no, that's. I mean, that's not entirely true. They did. They bid multiple times for Thomas Lamar. If you know, if the. The press are be to be mm-hmm. believed in this, which is always an asterisk. They also well, said that we just bid for Gareth Bale. So I mean, <laughs> Monaco, Monaco are actually fairly open with saying like, yeah, we received bids for this player, for this player. So yeah, I think there's been multiple bids for him. I don't know if it's been multiple bids from Arsenal, but there's been multiple bids for Lamar. I just. It- if Wenger wanted them that bad, it's like you can make it happen. Well, or but but again, this comes to so there are all these questions swirling around the back room at Arsenal. Is that does Wenger actually have this quote unquote war chest and the number of war chest articles that we're going to read in the Sun and the Telegraph and so on this week about Arsenal are going to be myriad? But is it is it actually his choice? Is it Stan Kroenke saying, Nah, that's too much money? I don't know. I really don't. But what I do know is that the the entire culture at Arsenal Football Club is terrible. And what I fear greatly is that it is going to be not just not just a little bit of, you know, growing pains for a new manager, maybe two new managers, maybe three new managers. I fear that it is going to be a decade before all of the people in back of house at Arsenal who are just cancers on this football club. I'm talking about Ivan Gazidis. I'm talking about Stan Kroenke. I'm talking about the pathetic negotiating squad that we have until all of those are out and they can spring anew, which is sad for me to say, but I would not be surprised if it wasn't until 2030 before Arsenal realistically challenged for the Premier League title. Bring back Nicholas Bentner. Oh, Christ. Just do it. Greatest striker of all time. Just do it. Wenger turned him into a 30-goal scorer. Like, he can't do that with anybody else now. Yep. Like, Orson Wenger used to know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tearing it up with Rosenbaum in Norway. This whole damn episode. Nicholas Bender. Okay, let's move over to Liverpool. They've done a signing today. Uh, Nabi Keita from uh, RB Leipzig will join the club next summer, according to Sky Sources. So I mean, it's, it, I know the, the story is, is like Arsenal is Arsenal was so bad and, and embarrassing here. You don't want to take away from how good Liverpool were in this game. 
No, they looked good. I mean, but, but I mean, that's yeah, the thing, though. This is Liverpool in the big games at home. They play well. But this wasn't even that. They tactically, they were masterful. Yeah, they were. They yes, they were really, really good. But we've seen this before, though, where they play really well against quote unquote the big guys at home, and then they have trouble against you know West Brom or a Burnley well, it's or a difference. whoever. It's it a difference. Be. They came out. They came out, and and we just I, I brought it up earlier when I said Arsene Wenger looked like at times it looked like with his team selection that he wanted to outscore Liverpool because. What does Liverpool do? They press you high. So he came out ready to deal with that and try to play attacking. Liverpool kind of said, well, we know that Arsenal think that we're going to do that and they're going to play like that. So Liverpool just sat back. It was a very anti-Jurgen Klopp game. They sat back and they just said, we're going to kill you on this counterattack. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and, I mean, what's and, his face? Salah got a breakaway from his own half of the field. You don't see that in soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane are perfect for that type of game. I mean... Salah's breakaway was the equivalent of like an NHL player deflecting a pass at the blue line and taking off down the ice, him and the goalie. Mm-hmm. You don't get that in, in soccer. I don't know how it happened. No, it's it, it looked honestly, you know what it reminded me of is playing FIFA on a low difficulty. You're like, oh yeah, I can just take <laughs> the ball from this player and run down the pitch and, yep. and even, there we go. Hey, look, we got a goal. Even in FIFA, the computer doesn't devote that doesn't let that many players get that far forward. Like even if you do get past the last defender, you don't have half the field to run. Yes, I mean I think Salah had a good game. If he would have been a little bit better in his finishing, he would have had a hat trick in this one. Uh, but he got one goal. Firmino got a goal. Mane got a goal. Then Sturridge got a goal. So right, and it's it it's a game like this where you look at it and you just say Adam Alana wasn't playing and because uh, he's hurt. And Coutinho was out. And it's the kind of game that literally makes you say, wait, like, how much more would Coutinho bring to this team? Like, obviously, he brings a lot because he's very good. But he's a player that his career high in assists is six. That's it. So, like, six assists in a season, maybe, you know, if Barcelona want him, take him. Go out there and get Alexis Sanchez, who we have seen turn nothing into something for Arsenal. Let him do that for you as and let Mane and Salah you know, run ragged for this team. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that, all right, I know we've been talking a lot about Arsenal transfer rumors, but if I'm Alexis Sanchez, I'm not, I don't think I want to go to Anfield. You know what? Like he's, especially if you're all not, he has to do, thing is all he has to do is go to the club you're, you want to go to. I disagree. I disagree entirely because all he has to do at this point is stick it out until January. And then he signs on a free. And he can go wherever he wants. Yeah. I don't go to Anfield to go to a team that also has a dodgy defense to also like even though Arsenal couldn't even come close to unlocking them with a clown in between the sticks. Like, I don't want to go to Anfield. You know what? I'm going on a free transfer, save all that money for the transfer fee, put it into my wages. I'm gonna go to Bayern Munich. I'm gonna go to Real Madrid. I'm gonna go I'm gonna be playing at, you know, I any one of the top clubs in Europe that are challenging for the Champions League year in, year out. I'm not going to. Yeah, I feel like Bayern would be a good option for him too. Cause it would be because they're going to get rid of Thomas Moore. Yeah, I mean, Robin is on his... I mean, he's still good. Uh, Ribéry is on his last leg. But there's going to be a sort of a... They're going to have some turnover here at some point. And I, I feel like Sanchez could definitely step up and be the guy at Bayern to, I mean, together Ribéry's, with Lewandowski. Rib- Ribery has been on his last leg for like for seven years yes. now. Yeah. And Byron actually started both Robin and, and Ribery this weekend as if like it was the year 2009. <laughs> it was astonishing. I was like, you have so many good attacking players. And like, those are the three, those are the two guys that you chose. Nope. Uh, and Thomas Moore now seems to be a little bit unsettled. So yes, Byron Munich would be a very good team for him. But again, if you want out of Arsenal now and you want to play in the Champions League this year, Liverpool's not a bad option for you. No, um, it's not. I mean, it's not. It's not bad. You're not like my point is, you're not going to Manchester City if you want to stick it out for a year and sign on a free with with someone like Bayern Munich. By all means, but he looks like he wants to leave now. Yeah, well, I mean, but it's, Bayern... but it's not even just the free transfer though. It's the thing is that Arsenal. I guarantee you know if he if he goes to Arsenal and says, "Look, I'm going to sign this this agreement, this pre-contract agreement with such and such a club." If you want to get 10 million quid for me, then go for it. Then they're going to take that, probably. 
I mean, they they can probably get ten million for him in January, even. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At least that's. I mean, that's that's exactly my point. But I I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard for me to say. I mean, all of it's kind of hard for me to talk about. It's just um, um it's a fucking shambles. Yes. But I feel like Mesedozil, he's gonna play out this year and then sign somewhere else on a free in the summer. Well, no one's even talking about him anymore. No. I mean, there's been some rumors that he might go. I mean, I think Dortmund were interested in him. I know they just signed uh, Andrei Yarmolenko. That's a good, yes. that's a, such a good signing. Ooh, um, I think he can be a really good player for them. Good for Christian Pulisic to get a new playmate there too. Uh, oh God, I can't wait until our next episode and we just talk about the U.S. <laughs> a yeah. team that hasn't at least recently failed abysmally and broken my heart yeah so uh, it's only been what eight uh, ten months uh, <laughs> hey, so that's a lot longer than two days yeah paulie do you think liverpool can keep up this though I, I this is you said it before it's this is how they play at home against good teams and we saw last week what happens when they play a team that just sits back and when Crystal Palace came in and just sat back and they just, they struggled to break them down. And again, they've struggled for a long time to do that. So I don't know how much Coutinho helps in there. So maybe it is worth it to throw all this money at somebody like Alexis Sanchez who can take a moment with the ball at his feet and make magic and find the back of the net. That's going to be the key is how do they play um, when Sadio Mane gets hurt because he always does at some point. And how do they play when they have to face teams that just sit back on them? Well, there's no African Cup of Nations, at least, so he won't be won't be gone for that. Wait, I thought that that was every freaking year. No, it's every other year, right? Every other freaking. Am I year making this up now? Uh, I think it's like I want to say it's every three years, but it's definitely not every three years. No, it's way more frequent than that. They, and they may have also just changed it. That's possible as well. It might be every other year, but I always remember it always hurt Chelsea the most. Because they have- <laughs> Because they had like Drogba and Solomon Kalu, who, by the way, is still cashing checks now in the Bundesliga as a holding midfielder. Wow. Uh, let's see. No, it's every other year. All right. Yeah. It's okay. It's not as bad as the Gold Cup. So uh, well, just as bad as the Gold Cup. So they, they won't won't be without him at least for the, this uh, this January. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm you know there's still talk about them bringing in Virgil Van Dijk. And if they can get a good uh, good goalkeeper in at some point too, and maybe no, they're not going for a goalkeeper. Uh, maybe, is I know, I know, anyway. I know. And Karius, I mean, he's still maybe he can become something. Who knows? Uh, we're gonna take another break, and we come back. It's uh, it's time to talk a little bit about Manchester City. So stick around. And we're back, Manchester City time, and uh, I like they had a lot of. I like a lot of it. I like how Polly put in LOL Sterling in the rundown. <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate that. Hey, he got him three points. He did. I mean, it's, it's not every day you see somebody score the winning goal and get sent off for scoring the winning goal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so deep, 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 deep into stoppage time, Raheem Sterling scored the winning goal as Manchester City took a 2-1 to win away to Bournemouth. Sterling ran to the you know the little away side there where the city fans were and picked up a second yellow card and got sent off. I mean the yellow cards were given out like candy in this game. Mike Dean was uh, he was feeling the the Mark Clattenburg sized hole that's been left in the Premier League this season and it it looked like he was putting out his resume to try to fill it. Mm. He wants that move As, to the to the uh, Arab Emirates. Well, it just looked like he was trying to make the game about him. Yeah, and, I mean, there's always Well, I mean, he's always got a lot someone. of real estate on his arms for trophy <laughs> tattoos. So. He, yeah, and, and I thought I thought he had a really poor game. But I also thought, and I thought he had a couple of decisions that really heavily influenced the game. Vincent Company, I thought, should have been sent off earlier in the second half when Bournemouth got the ball and they just went to break the other way and Vincent Company just threw Jermaine Defoe to the ground. Like, that's a yellow card. Like, I don't care that the ball wasn't there. You took both hands and you threw Jermaine Defoe onto the ground away from the ball. That's a yellow. You were already on a yellow. You're sent off. Mm-hmm. And uh, right before the goal was scored, um, they that Bournemouth player like tackled the the City player and won the ball. And he blew the he blew for a foul, which I don't even I don't know if it was a foul. Ah, I I don't know. But what I can tell you is before the ref even like 
said, all right, here's where we're going. And before that ball stopped moving, City put it back in play, mm -hmm. which should have been blown dead and should have been brought back. Those are, me, those are my letter of the law complaints coming from the eyes of the red half of Manchester. Yeah, I mean, when it's... When, yeah, if it would have been United, it would have been fine. Now, I, I feel bad for Bournemouth, though, in this game. I mean, awesome, awesome opening goal by Charlie Daniels. That was a fantastic strike. Uh, probably a... Could be a goal of the season candidate, at least. I mean, that was just a rocket. It was such a beauty. Uh, and then Joshua King hit the post and around the hour mark. So, yeah, you got to feel a little bit for Bournemouth in this one. And Jermaine uh, Defoe had that chance in the first half that he should have buried. And, I mean, you just saw there when Sterling scored. I mean, they just they couldn't believe it. And this and, and let's be honest. Let's call a spade a spade here. This win came from having a manager – who knows how to work the referees uh, as Pep the entire like last five minutes and all of stoppage time was just going on and on and on about Bournemouth time wasting. And the commentator was right there saying like, it's just not something to make a big deal about. Like, you know, all right. So they're time wasting. If the referee deems it time wasting, he'll add more time on. Mm -hmm. Well, the referee is now aware of it because Pep is making it a big deal. Mm -hmm. And that's why that time just keeps getting added on. And that's why in, in the seventh of five minutes of stoppage time, um, you get a goal, which, you know, I would have given, I would have even let them play more because like for the first five minutes of stoppage time, the ball was in play for like a minute. Yeah. But I mean, this is the type of wins that city need. They need the little scrappy wins too there. So they're up in fourth place, seven points. Good for them. Two points behind. It's the type of, it's the type of win they need, but it's, a, it's still a little concerning that they have all this talent on the field and they're not scoring a lot of goals. Yeah. Well, I mean, is it, is it almost too much of a good thing? Like, do do you feel like no. it's? Well, <laughs> do you think they need to put in there? No, but I'm, I'm saying like, is it possible that you have players that are you know really good individually, but then when you put them, like, can you actually play Silva and De Bruyne? Do you need both of them on the field, or do they sort of hamper each other? Because both we of them, this. both of them love having the ball at their feet. Right. We saw this last year when they. They, at the beginning of the year, they couldn't really play with Silva and De Bruyne and Sterling on the field at the same time. And that's how Jesus Navas got like his 10th life. Yeah, but that's because and, Sterling always cuts in. Right. Uh, but they, they managed to figure it out towards the second half of the year. And what's even more concerning is really the only person that was on the field for City that wasn't on the team last year, besides the fullbacks, were, was uh, Bernardo Silva. But like the whole team, like this shouldn't be... This shouldn't be like a okay. Well, they they still need some time to gel, and it's only been three games. All these guys have played together for years. It's more concerning that this is what we've seen out of all these guys, out of the Agueros and the David Silvas and Fernandinos. We've seen them just not be able to be motivated for game after game after game. They're just they're happy to collect their three hundred thousand pounds each week, each uh, each week. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting thought, though. What do you think about leaving Aguero on the bench, though, or starting him on the bench? Uh, Fine with me. Yeah, you got. Uh, we've. I, I said this last year. You know, when I when I said RJ, oh. RJ, mm -hmm. yeah, RJ. But I said it look, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Aguero leaves because it looks like Pep is more fond of Gabriel Jesus. And then he was like, "No, we're going to play them both," which is cool. But three games in, you know, it's not like you have a Champions League game coming up this week, and and you say, "Well, we're going to start with one and." switch to the other so that you know we we don't play them both for 90 minutes mm -hmm. you just i get like wanting to change things up and bournemouth is a smaller pitch and and everything and maybe you you play better with one striker but you chose jesus and it just shows where that pecking order is quick word on the back four danilo company otamendi and mendy i mean i mean that's what they have available right now <laughs> yeah but it's not that, but it's not a terrible back four for you know no, I mean, Dan Danilo is a serviceable player. He can play both sides, and he's sort of going to be that number. You know, if Walker or Mendy is gone, he's going to jump in, and now Walker was suspended. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's vital for them, though, that company stays fit. Yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, such a difference maker. They're, Especially when you could get away with throwing the other team's striker. Exactly. To the I mean, that's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect to have someone like that. Yeah, I mean, Tottenham have a bunch of players that could do that. <laughs> Let's move over to Tottenham. Playing in 1-1 against Burnley. Uh, what's going on with Spurs at Wembley? They're playing at Wembley. I mean, seriously, come on. It's Burnley. I, I honestly, I think that it is, 
it it is the work it's worse than West Ham last year because not only are they moving to a new stadium where they don't have the like mystique and the support at the ground not only is it temporary in the knowledge of the supporters who don't have to try to cultivate this is our home now in the way that West Ham did last year but on top of that they're playing against players especially when they're facing a side like Burnley for example you know the the teams that are expected to finish in the bottom half of the Premier League table maybe somewhere in the middle just barely over 10 that they can eke it out mm-hmm. when you're playing against those teams a lot of these players I mean, these are players like, like you know, all of us on some level have dreamed since we were younger of playing at Wembley, scoring that goal, you know, clearing that ball off the line. And many That's of them really never point, get that opportunity. And they're going to have to face this at every single home game all season. And that is, I mean, that is a really good point. Although, you know, like a team like uh, Huddersfield did get to play there last year. In the playoff okay, touche, touche. <laughs> but that is that is a good point. But it's not the Wembley hex. Like, there's no Wembley hex on them. Obviously, it's a different size field, and you got to get used to that. But this is exactly why I said they need to go out there and sign Riyad Mars. They need a winger. Their only winger is Eric Lamella, and he's been out for like a year now. Mm-hmm. He ain't coming back anytime soon. Their wide players are like are Christian Eriksen, who is a number ten. He's he's at his best centrally. Sun Hyung Ming, who is kind of like a second striker, and Dele Ali, who's only going to play in the middle. So really, your your wide players that you use, whether it's Sun or Erickson or or Dele, are just players that you know are lining up wide because they have to spread out. But really, they're all central players. Even if you only had one winger on the team, like if you had Lamella and and Dele and and uh, Erickson which they did like two years ago, they were they were really good when they did that. Mm-hmm. So bring in somebody like Riyad Mahrez, and that just that opens up so much space for you to have somebody who's going to stay on that wing and, and run down the channels. Now, the reason that they haven't won at Wembley this year, they played a good Chelsea team, a good Chelsea team, and Hugo Lloris, he had a howler, which happens. It happens once a year to people. If you're a really good goalkeeper, it happens once every two years, you know? David De Gea had one against like uh, West Ham last year, and it cost us two points. You know, it happens. It It's soccer. These things happen. The reason that they dropped points against Burnley is because they decided when Kyle Walker left, they were fine with Karen Trippier. They didn't need to replace their right back. And that Karen Trippier would be actually able to defend for 90 minutes. And then they watched as he just failed to mark the guy and literally didn't even try to get back as the guy just ran by him. He stood around. Boom. Balls in the net. For as good as Karen Trippier is going forward, he's that bad going back. There's no Wembley Hex. He just can't defend mm-hmm. no. well, okay i mean I, I think you're right on both points that he can't defend and they could use a new wide player but i i'll i would be shocked if tottenham win more than two games at home than the number of games they win on the road in fact i would even go so far as to say i bet they win more games on the road than they once, win at home. i think once they figure it out they're going to become they're, they're going to be a dangerous home team again not so much because they're a dangerous home team but because they're a very good team they, now, but that's exactly now, what i mean they're just going to be a dangerous team in general but i don't know that i mean Wembley's going to be no fortress for top right but you know okay you probably got you you didn't lose to chelsea last year at home and White Hart Lane probably really helped you out, even though, well, and I mean, they had beaten, they had demolished Chelsea their last two times at White Hart Lane. You beat Manchester United last year. It might not go that way this year because, for one, Manchester United's a much better team this year. Uh, you know, you might have trouble playing Liverpool at at, uh, at Wembley simply because you're lacking White Hart Lane. But I don't think they're going to have trouble playing Crystal Palace or West Ham or, or Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're going to have trouble playing Arsenal and or uh, Huddersfield. Like, I don't think they're going to have trouble playing those teams, and they're just going to be a dangerous team. And, yeah, the lack of stadium uh, is an issue, but it's not because – it's more because it's not White Hart Lane, not because it's the Wembley Hex, as all these Spurs fans are claiming. Mm. Yeah, good on Chris Wood, who got his first goal for Burnley after signing from Leeds, and uh, Robbie Brady with the assist there. I mean, that's a, that's a good player for them to have. Uh, we're going to take a, our last break here. When we come back, it's time to talk about league leaders, Manchester United. So uh, stick around. And we're back, and Manchester United are in the lead. They have three straight wins to open up the season after beating Leicester 2 nothing. 
goals by Marcus Rashford and Marwan Fellaini. My boy. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's boy. Did you see there was a photo going around on Twitter? Uh, there was a player, I think it was a Milan player, who looked like the love child of Fellaini and Slatan. <laughs> He had like no, slatanish no, face I facial feature, features and then the Fellini poofy hair. That's so weird because it's like really good looking and really ugly at the same time. Yeah, so that was that was quite entertaining. But yeah, uh, Rashford on the board. That's really good if you're a United supporter. Fellini scored eh, whatever. Um, <laughs> really, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, someone else, please. Uh, Mkhitaryan, another good game. I feel like he had, you know, Paul Pogba, Matic. I mean, that that works another so well. Another assist got five assists already. It works so well. Yeah, yeah. And Daily Blind actually being capable, a capable left back. I wouldn't say that after this game. Ah, capable. He <laughs> right, was, but he's been capable for years. But for the third, for the third or fourth time in a row, um, Brian Mars put him in his back pocket. Like the only time Lester was dangerous. Um, yeah, but that's Riyad Mahrez, though. Right. But the only time Lester was dangerous was when Mars got the ball and just attacked Daily Blind, which he's done every time we've played Lester since 2015, and he's just owned Daily Blind. And when, I mean, all of our attacks ended with Daily Blind. He was almost as bad going forward as Marcos Rojo was. Yeah, he shouldn't be going forward. I mean, I, I just say the it, it was a good, it was the good thing about this game was a year ago, this is a game we drew nil nil. Yeah, you know, uh, we got frustrated. Uh, Pogba started doing that thing where he just kept shooting from 35 yards out, and he was close on some and not close on others. Mm -hmm. Lukaku then misses a penalty in the second half, and a year ago, that's it. It's nil-nil, and it's just draw points in a game that we dominated. This year, changes are made, and we stayed patient. We knew the goal would come, and it comes, and we never looked back. And then even the, and last year, you know, occasionally that goal would come, and then immediately a slip-up would happen, and th there'd be an equalizer, and it would be one-one. This time, never looked back. Did you see that run by Phil Jones where he was like taking these moose-like yeah. steps? And, and then uh, like, Danny Simpson boof, boof. stepped in and threw a shoulder into him, and it was no call. Yeah, but it was it was nice to see Phil Jones. I mean, actually this, looking pretty good again. The one the one concern that I have on this is I said it last week, and Jose followed suit is that Martial deserved to start over Rashford, mm -hmm. and that didn't. And because when Rashford is in there, all four. All three guys behind Lukaku, plus Pogba, plus Lukaku a bit, they all interchange. They're all constantly moving and stuff. Martial kind of stayed on that left side and drifted to the middle only when the ball was all the way on the right side. And if somebody else was in his area, they were just clogged up. Yeah. Versus Rashford, who goes all over the place. That's the only, literally the only complaint that I can muster because I guess it's in my personality that I have to find something to complain about. Uh, I mean, that, that's okay. That's okay, I guess. No, but I mean, and I'm liking what I'm seeing from Jones and Bay right now. The Every, whole defense. Yeah. Everybody. I mean, Valencia still can't cross the ball. Near uh, Daily Blend. But, you know, that would be nice to get a, a wing back that could actually cross the ball. Right. And, but and yeah, Martel did that thing again where he got frustrated after a while, so he started to just do that thing where he pretends shins don't exist and it, it doesn't work because... Mm -hmm. Uh, spoiler alert, shins do exist, and yes. the ball does not go through them. They do not. They bounce off. But yeah, I mean, we're nitpicking here. They've been looking really good yeah. so far. Michael Oliver, I mean, he is what he is. I feel like he's also one of those referees that sometimes have a tendency to put, make it about him. But seeing that United won can't be too Ellie, you should try watching this team we like we we like end our games now and we're like smiling these days mm -hmm. yeah i know i watched the last match it was good <laughs> yeah i think it's funny too because the change of demeanor in Mourinho when things are going well now he's like super laid back. He cracks yeah, some he's jokes. Cool, calm and yeah, yeah. As he, opposed to like well, this is, the players they betrayed me. Yeah, this is year two. This is year two, Jose. Yeah, he's supposed to be this good this this year. But mm. I did I did hear someone like who, and betray him next year. Yeah, well, next year's <laughs> the year that he throws the players under the bus. Uh, I did hear something today, which I very strongly agree with. Is it? It just it looks. And I'm sure I complained about this last year. It looks more like he's taking it seriously this year. 
you know, he's showing up to the games in a suit. And like, remember last year, I, I gave him so much crap for this. I hated the fact that he would just wear like a, a vest or a sweater mm. to these games. Jose has always been a suit manager. And even then, Manchester United, is, our managers always worn a suit. Like David Moyes was a tracksuit guy, shows up at United, throws a suit on. It, it, it didn't sit well with me that, you know, our manager was showing up to these games super casually. He's still being a little bit casual because he's not wearing that tie. But kudos to him. He's taking it seriously. He's not messing around with the media. He's not being an arrogant prick right now. Keep rolling. And he's not micromanaging this team to be like, play this rigid style that I always make you play. He's yeah. letting them play and it's working. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's really, really nice. Uh, one manager that has gone to the tracksuit, though, that's Antonio Conte. Chelsea picked up a 2 nothing win over Everton on Sunday. Fabio Gaza Morata with the goals. Morata also picked up an assist on that first goal. And um, so far, so good for Morata, you would say? Or does he still have more to, like, do you still want to see more from him? Oh, of course you want to see more from him. You know, I mean, if he, if he wants to... If you want to replace Diego Costa, you know, jack wagon that Diego Costa is, not only does he have to just have fewer red cards, not difficult. Nope. But he also has to. Well, I mean, it's not so much. Yeah, it's not so much the rest red cards. It's the getting suspended after the fact. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Okay. Like I say, keeping it PG as much as I can, being Mm. a jack wagon. Like, all he has to do is not be that guy and then also all he has to do is be one of the top scorers in the premier league and that's a little harder so yeah there's a lot more for him to do but uh, he's just keep playing at this pace and you're going to be fine he's the first player like in premier league history to have a goal and an assist on his first two home games um just keep playing at this pace unfortunately no one's ever going to forget your miss against tottenham but like just yeah. keep scoring goals at that pace, and Chelsea will be more than happy with you. Yeah, and I mean, they, they actually have some wingbacks that can put in the ball, too, to him. And they got they got the Ox coming in. Mm. Yeah, where is he going to fit in? Or is He's he... going to be the squad player. He's your squad player when you need to give Willian or or uh, um, Eden Hazard or or even Victor Moses or Pedro was... when you need to give them a break. But more importantly, what he's, what he's going to do is he's going to be able, capable of coming in for 15 to 30 minutes in a game to just give your players a break or to, or to close things up, to give you fresh legs. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was a 3-4-2-1 uh, formation uh, that Conte put up. Uh, Murata as the, you know, the edge of the spear and then Pedro and William behind him. And I feel like William does a lot of work that goes un, unappreciated. He has that, you know, you were ta- Elliot, you were talking about Alexis Sanchez and his work ethic. I feel like William works his butt off, but a lot of the time we don't really think about it. Then he scores, you know, he's good on the dead ball. He scores a phenomenal free kick. Then it's like, oh, William this, William that. But he does a lot of things that he doesn't get any credit for. He didn't quit on Jose. He's the only one. No, he didn't. And then, Fab- I mean, Fabregas and Morata, that was a good link-up play on the first goal. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Chelsea, they, they should be doing fine. Sad to see David Luiz back in the Central defense, though. Yeah, I was upset about that because I guess Seth Fabregas is a better holding midfielder than him on yeah. some planet. Yeah, I don't know. Not as entertaining, that's for sure. But they don't have to worry about Diego Costa anymore. No, so latest reports are Atletico Madrid, they're going to buy him and then loan him out to Everton until January since Atletico can't, they can't... Um, Register any players until January because of it. Yeah, that's the important part of the story. Because when I first heard it, that was like, this makes no sense. Yes. Whatsoever. Uh, and then when I realized they can't bring him in until January, it makes a bit more sense. How do you think they're going to like it when Everton play him for all 90 minutes of like every one of their seven games in the last nine days of December? If I'm Everton, I use him in, I use him for every second of that festive period. Yeah, why not? Yeah, we'll see, if this, we'll see if this goes through or not. It's still not official, but those are the latest... It would reports. be a good signing for Everton because they just showed against Chelsea that they, they do need help up front. Rooney can't do it on his own. Um, Sigurdsson, you know, he's he can't do it on his own. What they just have to make sure is that he doesn't take minutes away from Calvert-Lewin, who looks really good. They need to make sure that they, that they keep using him often, but, you know, not too often to burn him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they started with Sandro Ramirez as, the, uh, as their, um, the most, their edge of the spear in this one. So I don't know. Do you feel like 
would you rather have Rooney playing that position or do you think Ramirez uh, could do the job? I mean, at this point now, I'd rather have Diego Costa there. Yeah, Calvert Of course. It's a, it's a matter of, I mean, this is the kind of game where I would have started Calvert Lewin. Now, again, he played in the Europa League, so you couldn't. I understand why he didn't. You know, I think that, you know, Calvert Lewin should be the guy there with Rooney interchanging. And then in, it's the other games where you where you, you you pick and choose your spots to give him a break because obviously you don't want to burn him out. He's a teenager. Mm-hmm. No, he's 20. Close enough. He's 20. Yeah, man. 20 I don't, know. I don't know okay let's head over to our final thoughts paulie you get to uh, kick us off here no i'm going i'm going last <laughs> i have to think of a final thought i had one this afternoon and i forgot it so i gotta think of it okay then elliot you get to do it then oh i'm i'm leading us off am i yes uh well my final thought is going to be a strange kind of straddling of the arsenal Fluster cook that we've been discussing and then transitioning into talking about U.S. soccer, which is talking about Patrick Vieira and NYCFC. Uh, I mean, he commented saying, quote, I think the game in the MLS is completely different from 10 years ago and is talking about how he thinks that, you know, players in the MLS are going to get more and more respect from their national teams. The main talking point being that David Villa has just been recalled by Spain, while Sebastian Giovinco is still snubbed by Italy. And on the one hand, you know, I'm the old Arsenal man is is not wrong. But <laughs> of course, the quality of MLS is improved from 10 years ago. I mean, the league is barely even 20 years old. So yeah, but we're not going to see major top 10 FIFA ranked international sides recalling players from MLS within the next five years. It's going to be an outlier that is worthy of a headline as was David Villa's recall, which is the whole reason that he had this interview, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless, happy to see it. Happy for him, happy for the MLS and hoping that despite their bevy of MLS players, the U S do well, on Friday, and we will talk more about that later in the week. Mm. Yeah, Sweden—they have one MLS player in the squad as they take <laughs> on, as they take on Bulgaria and Belarus in the upcoming uh, World Cup qualifiers here, uh, playing Bulgaria on Thursday. So we'll talk about that game after the fact. And Who is that one player, Seb? It is Gustav Svensson from Seattle. Ah, uh, well, I uh, I'm gonna hold my tongue on that one. Because the Timbers just drew them 1-1 away, which is great points on the road for the Timbers, although Seattle remain first in the Western Conference. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you got in that Group A right now, Sweden, there you sit at the top of the group, 13 points, same as France. Also have 13 points after Sweden defeated France 2-1 back in June uh, after a major cock-up by Hugo Lloris. And All right. Sorry, yes. go ahead. And then France take on... The Netherlands also on Thursday. So that is two very interesting games for me as let's say there's a, a draw in that game would be perfect for Sweden if they beat Bulgaria. Bulgaria a team that they have been handedly beating for like the last two decades. So Does the Bulgarian uh, bitch still play for Bulgaria? Who? The Bulgarian bitch? Dimitar Berbatov? I highly doubt it. I that it too, but here, uh, you know, another player of a similar generation. Do you think there's any chance that Zlatan comes out of retirement for the World Cup next year? Oof. I mean, there's maybe... a chance. Come on, there's yeah, definitely a chance. Yeah, I think there's a chance, and I think you can't have a good World Cup without Zlatan. I think they would welcome him with open arms, as they should. Even yeah, though, I mean, if he if he if he comes back to play for United and scores. Let's say, I don't know, nine goals for down the second half of the season and then says, yeah, I want the swan song back with the national team. They have to take. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's you wouldn't I don't know who who to compare this to, really. But I mean, he is the biggest player in Swedish soccer history. So I I feel like, yeah, you would have to if he wants to come back, you say, please and thank you. So we'll see what happens there. But they got a pretty favorable schedule down the stretch here in Sweden. So first up, Bulgaria, then Belarus, then they play, both those games are on the road, then they play at home to Luxembourg, and then they cap things off with the Netherlands away. So 
Hopefully, it won't all come down to that last game. I would rather go in being sort of chill about it, already know that worst-case scenario will end up in second place and go to the qualification playoffs. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But that's my final thought. So be sure to watch simulcast those two games on Thursday, Bulgaria, Sweden, and France, Netherlands. Pauly, tell that was me. nice. That Wrap was a long final thought. Yes. So I'm going to hold mine off until Thursday because we're out of time. Okay, there we go. With that, we'll say goodbye as always. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren. Polly's P. Questel. And Elliot is Keats was better. So until next time, which is Thursday, have a good one. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.